And tonight we're talking about a man by the name of Gideon. And when I started thinking about this message and um, Gideon as a person, the word hero came to my head. And I started thinking about people who are heroes. And I just want to ask you, who is your hero? Just call it out. Harrison Ford. That's interesting, but okay. Anybody? Who's your hero? Grandfather? Dad? Mother? Anybody else? Chris Allman's my hero, too. You see, we get all these different versions of the word hero. Um, For some in our culture, hero says soldier, um, somebody that's willing to fight and lay down their life for a brother. Uh, For some of us in this room, like you've heard, it's dad, grandpa, mom. And so I started thinking about characteristics, what makes a good hero. And typically it's a person who knows how to put other people first. When I think about the heroes in my life, I think about my mom and my dad, people who always rose above the impossible, the impossible set of circumstances, people who chose to love in some unlovely situations. I think about people like Lauren Hill, who didn't let circumstances or sickness steal her joy or her life and spent her final days inspiring people with her story. So when I think about the word hero, I think about people that are extremely important, people who have a voice in culture. And so when we're talking about Gideon and saying the word hero, it kind of doesn't make sense because in this day and age, Gideon wasn't a hero. In fact, he was kind of a zero. Um, He was down and out. He was uh, frustrated, poverty-stricken, and he was a person in Israel who was really a nobody. And so tonight as we look at this story, I want us to, to realize that this is another example through this series of God changing a zero and ascending him to the level of hero. And it's not because of his worth. It's not because of who he was or what he could do or his achievements or his name. But it was because God could be used through him. See, we learned last week that God doesn't always call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. And again, we see that here tonight, that God only calls the willing. He doesn't call the valuable or the purposeful or the things that we think that he would call us or make us holy or worthy or good. But he uses the nobodies, the zeros. So as we go through this story, I want to just uh, break down this through Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Judges chapter 6. Um, we're going to be going through chapter 6 and 7 tonight. Um, and I'm going to hit on a couple of verses, explain it, and then keep going. But before we do that, would you guys just join me in a word of prayer? Guys, we look at the story of Gideon and how he became a hero. God, may we see each lesson that you taught him through his faith journey. May we be able to apply this lesson that you taught Gideon into our own lives. Lord, thank you so much for giving us a place where we can get together, most of us after really long, exhausting weeks, and just come to a place where we can get rid of all that, get rid of the baggage, get rid of the junk, and just focus on you. Just completely surrender everything else, and look at the cross, look at how good you are, and be recharged. So God, I just pray that as we go through this message, that you would teach us something, um, that through these lessons, we might be able to apply them to our life and leave here different. Just then we pray. Amen. And so the very first lesson that I think we can learn from this story of Gideon is that God uses tough times to get our attention. When we start out in Judges, um, the very first um, verse of chapter 6, the Israelites are in a season of really, really good times. Um, the kids are healthy. You know, the bills are paid. Those kind of seasons of life. But what happened here in the story is that Like us and in our culture, when things are really good and things are really easy, 
Israel had forgot about God. They became self-sufficient and thought that they didn't need him anymore. And so uh, the Lord said that, that they were doing evil things in the sight of God. And so the Lord handed them over to the Midians for seven years. He handed them over to the Midians for seven years. And now we need to understand tonight that the Midianites were bad dudes. Um, these guys were ruthless, um, they were heartless, and they would destroy towns. Um, and so God handed them over to these people to remind these people of their need for God. And the nomadic Midianites would actually invade Israel and tear through their city, taking their crops. They were called the grasshoppers. And believe it or not, how many of you guys have seen the Disney movie Bugs Life? Yeah, that whole movie is based off the story of Gideon. Uh, if you see the, the Gideon Bible, you can go ahead and throw up the Gideon Bible. On the Gideon Bible that they have um, in hotels, if you have ever seen one, what's on the cover? Does anybody know? It's like a torch-looking thing, right? So the reason that is is because you know in the story of Bugs Life how they used fire to confuse the grasshoppers? Well, we'll see in this story that it also happens in the story of Gideon. And so the, the grasshoppers in the tale of Bugs Life represented these evil, horrible people. And in verse 5 it says, It tells us they would come in like locusts, ravaging the land. What they couldn't carry with them, they would destroy. The Bible reports it was so bad that many of the Israelites would leave their homes to take refuge in caves. Take refuge in caves. Now this went on for seven years before the Israelites cried out for help. Seven years before they asked God to help them. And I was thinking about this when I was reading the story, and I was, I was questioning, why would these people wait so long? And then I started thinking, we do the exact same thing in our life. We, we see when every option has been exhausted. We try to handle things on our own. We try to get ourselves out of bad circumstances and situations, and we fight with our pride because we think we can do it. We think we can achieve or overcome on our own merit or strength. But we see in this lesson that, that God wants to use these hard times to humble us and say, you know what, you can't do it by yourself. You need me. There is a need for my presence in your life. There's a need for me. In verse 6, it tells us that Israel became poverty-stricken because of the Midians. How many of you in your life have reached a point where you're poverty-stricken? Where you feel like you've lost everything? You have nothing else to hold on to. You're tired of fighting. Well, I believe that God brought you there for a purpose. And that the lesson here is that every experience in life is a test for us. I believe that every trial in our lives is tailored to draw us closer to God. See, so often we look at bad experiences and we get angry with God. We question, is He really there? Is He helping us? Is He seeing us through these things? We talk about how he's a good God of love and of mercy, and so we wonder when bad things happen to good people. But really, if anything in our life, whether it's bad, whether it's hard, whether it's a trial, will bring us closer to God, then it is a good thing. Because it draws us into his presence. You see, when tough times come, instead of looking at them as if God is punishing you, try to see them as God's gift of grace. See, we can learn a lesson on perspective here. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, it says this. It says, Don't despise the Lord's instruction, my son and daughter, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father, the son he delights in. He loves you too much to let you keep living the way you are. He longs to be at the center of your life, so he's designed in our troubles that they are always for our good. They are always for our good. I love that. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures... He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, we know this is true because when do you cling to God the most? 
in the times that are really bad and really difficult. The second lesson that I think we can learn from Gideon is this, that God sees more than we do. That God sees more than we do. You know, the wonderful thing about God is that while sometimes it takes us a long time to come back to him, God is never slow in responding to us. God is never slow in responding to us. Verse 7 and 8 show us that when we cry out to God, he moves in mercy and love towards us. He tells us the truth and begins to work behind the scenes to help us. See, uh, in this story, for Israel, he first sends an unnamed prophet to call them back to total surrender. But then he plans to use the most unlikely man. See, we see Gideon appear on the scene in verse 11, where he's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, you kind of saw what a wine press looked like um, when we watched that bumper video. Um, but if you don't know what that is, typically when you want to shuck wheat, or whatever the proper word terminology is, you would do it out in an open area so that the wind would blow away the, the shaft, I think is the word. I'm a city boy. So that the wind would blow it away. And so that scene, it's really important that we understand that this scene is actually one that's quite heartbreaking. You see, Gideon was at a point where he was hurting, where he was desolate. And it was almost a pitiful sight, full of frustration, discouragement, and fear at the bottom of that wine press. In case you ever wondered if God has a sense of humor, that very next verse, in verse 12, it says this. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now I imagine that Gideon in the bottom of this well started looking around thinking, Is somebody else in here with me? You know? God calling me a mighty warrior. But I believe that when God looked down at Gideon in the bottom of that wine press, he didn't see who Gideon was, but he saw who he was about to become through God and his purpose for Gideon's life. And he does the same thing for us. There's so many places in our life we're at the bottom of that well where we feel so broken, so unworthy, so unusable, and God looks at us and says, you are a mighty warrior. You are more than enough. You are an overcomer. You are an achiever. See, one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is that God only uses special people. The reality is God only uses broken people. And if you're a born-again believer, John 1.12 says that you're a child of God. John 15.15 says that you are a friend of God. Ephesians 2.10 says you are God's masterpiece. Romans 5.1 says you've been justified. Romans 8.1 says you've been freed forever from God, condemnation from God. Ephesians 1.5 says you are adopted into his family. Philippians 3.20 says your citizenship is in heaven. Corinthians 6.20 says you belong to God. And Romans 8.35 says you will never be separated from his love. That's who we are. That's who you are and that's who I am in the eyes of God. You have more than enough, more than you need through God. God knows who you are even if you don't. And he'll help you work to see your true identity because he sees more than we do. Some of you, when you go home at night and you look in the mirror, you see somebody who is broken and you only see your mistakes and your past. And you feel like you can never be used by God. Will you cling to the names that God has given you? Not the names that world has given to you. Not the names that culture has given to you. Not the names that bullies have given to you. But the names that God has chosen for you. The third lesson that we can see from the story of Gideon is that God confirms his priorities with his presence. God confirms his priorities with his presence. Chapter 6, verse 13. After being called a mighty warrior, immediately after, Gideon questions God and he says this, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, 
Why has all of this happened? And where are all of his wonders that our father told us about? He immediately questions God after he comes to him and and gives him a name. And I think God kind of smacked Gideon around. And verse 14 records something that probably uh, completely bulldozed Gideon's sensibilities. It says this, that the Lord turned to him. He looked Gideon full in the face and said, Go in strength, the strength that you have, and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. And then he asked him a question. He says, Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? He's still hearing the story. Gideon just isn't getting it. He's not getting the picture. He's not understanding what God is saying to him. And so he starts listing off his unimpressive resume. Well, I'm the youngest sibling, and I can't even call out my own tribe. Nonetheless, other people... But then God confirms his priority with his presence in the next verse because he says, I will be with you, the Lord says to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. See, we see here right now that Gideon is given an undeniable commission. He's told the remarkable results that are going to happen in advance and promised the unrivaled partnership of the Lord himself. See, after further confirmation that he was in fact dealing with God, it says in verse 22, it says, It tells us that the pieces fell into place. And Gideon cried out, O no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, his fears comforted, his calling affirmed. So he builds an altar to the Lord. You see, Gideon needed a personal encounter with God, and God met him right where he was at, giving him a sense of peace and purpose by his promised presence. There's a quote by um, one of Napoleon's soldiers, and it said, When Napoleon touches our hand and looks at us, we feel like conquerors. See, there's something that changes in us when we listen to his voice and look full in his wondrous face. Suddenly, his priorities are affirmed by his presence. So many of us doubt when we've been called into something. We feel like we can't do it or we're not capable or qualified. And we wonder, is this really what God wants for me? Am I really hearing something from God? And I want to tell you tonight, if you're questioning that, step into it. And if you feel like the presence of God is there with you, then you're listening to the call that God has placed on your life. Because God will always back up his priorities with his presence. The next lesson that we can learn from this is private faithfulness. Private faithfulness is a prerequisite to public usefulness. Private faithfulness is a prerequisite to public usefulness. See, we see in this text in chapter 6, verse 25 through verses 32, if you want to read this on your own time, that before Gideon can be used publicly, he first has to clean up his own backyard. You know, we read in Scripture that his family was worshiping the false idol of Baal. And so God tells them that before anything else, he has to destroy this idol that's in their backyard. And then he has to sacrifice his father's prized bull on top of it. And so this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. And so what's the point? And the point is, if you want to learn how to trust God, we have to first have our own house in order. If we truly want to achieve and accomplish and do these things that God can call us into, first we have to have our own junk together. Because if we don't and we try to accomplish these things, first off, we look like hypocrites. First off, our voices lose their power. Because our lives don't back up what we're saying. And so God says, first you need to get your junk together before I can use you in a mighty way. And so that's exactly what he does. He goes and he builds an altar and and he sacrifices this bull on top of it. See, this is a point that private worship prepares us for public power from God. See, there's no shortcuts. So the question is, is there anything that you've been holding on to in your own life? 
Are there idols that you've built up in your life that you've been worshiping in your backyard that before you can serve God, you need to let go of and tear down and sacrifice so that you can truly step into the call that God has on your life? See, this is a big deal because it affected a lot of people, this call to sacrifice this bull. Because apparently in the story, the bull was the community breeding stock owned by Gideon's family. And so we see in verse 30 that men of the city said to Joash, his dad, he said, bring me your son, he must die. But we see here that Gideon's act was already affecting change because his dad answers. And this is how he answers. I love this. It says, his father Joash awoke to the truth and stood up to the man asking in verse 31, would you plead Baal's case for him? If he's a god, let him please his own case. You see, we see here that the actions, the obedience in Gideon's life actually was a witness for other people to waken them to God's truth and who he was. You see, we see an example of him sacrificing his father's bull, opened the eyes of his father to the gospel and who God really was. And so sometimes our own personal obedience is the first step in helping somebody else cut the bull out of their life. Something easy to tie into and remember in this lesson. The next thing that we can learn from this is that God is patient with our faith process. When we continue on in chapter 6 through verses 33 through verses 40, uh, when we get to verse 33, this is the point if we were in a movie where the ominous music would start to play. Uh, It says that the Midianites were their partners and they were getting ready to make their annual raid. They were getting to go in and tear up the, the crops and the fields and start destroying things. But instead of cringing in a cave... Verse 34 says that the spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon, and he blew the ram's horn, and the Abzerites rallied behind him. You see, Gideon had taken a huge step in his private life and his faithfulness, and that showed in public power when these people came to him to back him up, to support him, and to fight. 32,000 men showed up ready to fight. 32,000 men. But watch this. Even after his encounter with an almighty God, Even though he had been obedient to clean shop at home, and even though the Holy Spirit was empowering him, Gideon still struggled with doubts. How many of us fall into that same category? Time after time after time after time, we we do something good or we're faithful to God, and he's faithful right back, and he opens doors and he shows us things and he blesses us and blesses us, and still, still, time after time, we fall into these places where we doubt God. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. And so what he says is, He says this in verses 36 and 37. He says, If you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a fleece wool here on the threshing floor. And if dew is only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, I will know that you delivered Israel by my strength, as you said. And I love how loving and tender and patient God is here. Because he does exactly what was asked of him. And even when this doubting Thomas of the Old Testament reverses in the next verse, in verse 39, asking that the fleece be dry and the ground be covered with dew, God graciously confirms his power again. You see, if I was God, I would be getting really annoyed here. You know? It's really frustrating when you're in a position of leadership and you tell somebody that you can do it, that you've got their back, that you've got something taken care of, and they're constantly just questioning you. Well, can you really do that? Well, will you really come through? But instead of getting impatient or angry, God showed him time and time again his faithfulness. And I think that's really encouraging for us because it shows us that God doesn't get angry when we doubt him. God doesn't get angry in this journey because it's a journey. It's not something that just happens. Spiritual maturity doesn't come overnight. But God is very patient in us, reassuring us of his power and who he is. 
You see, the same patience he showed to Gideon, he'll show to us as well if you seek his face. Allying your fears to grow you into a man or woman of God. The next lesson I think that we can find from this story is this. That success is determined by God's power, not our own. In chapter 7, verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many people for me to hand the Midianites over to you, or else Israel might brag, I did it myself. And so God proceeds to give Gideon a couple of tests to whittle the number down. The first test called 22,000 men out of the army, leaving only 10,000. Still too many, said God. So in verse 2, or verse 4, a second test was given. God tells Gideon to take his men down to the water and let them drink. He says, weed out any men who stick their face down into the water to drink. Keep the ones who ladle the water to their mouths with their hand. See, I feel like Gideon probably gulped hard here because it says in Scripture that 9,700 men were out, leaving only 300 men. Leaving only 300 men. So understand what's happening here. Let me explain. Basically, he's getting ready to attack the Midianites, and, and he's acting in faithfulness, and God has brought all these men to him, and he's thinking, this is awesome. I finally have an army. And God says, no, that's too many. I'm going to cut you down a little bit, and then I'm going to cut you down a little bit more, and then I'm going to cut you down a lot because you're too strong. I want to make it so there is no doubt that it's because of me, that it's because of me that power is moved in this place. And I can only imagine how Gideon felt. See, chapter 8 tells us that the Midianite army numbered 135,000 men. 135,000 men. So basically what that means is for every 450 Midianites, there was one Israel soldier. One Israeli soldier to every 450 Midianites. You see, God wanted Gideon's army to face this horde with a mere 300 men who knew how to drink politely. But God created an impossible situation of human weakness to exalt his own strength. Listen to that. God created an impossible situation of human weakness to exalt his own strength. See, isn't that God's specialty? Isn't that what he's constantly doing in our life? Creating positions of weakness so that he can be seen more clearly. What does Jesus say in Luke chapter 18, verse 27? What's impossible with men is possible only with God. So here's a good lesson for us. Accomplishing God's purposes is not determined by the bottom line on a finance sheet. It's not about the size of your congregation or the efficiency of your plans. You see, we need to attend to all those things for sure, but the truth is God is looking to glorify himself on earth through people who are fully dependent on him. See, who believe he's with them and are ready to charge the hill in the name of the Lord. See, God doesn't need the majority vote. God doesn't need the majority vote for us on this. He doesn't need us all at all, but he invites us to be a part of it. He invites us to be a part of his mission and to faithfully say, I'll go. To faithfully say, I'll go. So this is the story of Gideon. This is how it all plays out. This band of 300 people, this, these warriors, these people who truly shouldn't be able to defeat all of these people, these Midianites, these horrible soldiers, 135,000 of them. God said, Gideon, you're going to lead them. And so the soldiers left, and this is what God told them to do. This was their war strategy. Instead of actually fighting them, they were going to surround the camp. And the reason that on those Bibles you see those clay pots and torches is because that was part of the plan. See, they were going to show confusion into the camp. And so when the trumpet sounded, when Gideon uh, sounded the trumpet, 
they were to smash these clay vases, making loud sounds. And they were to light torches around the camp. And when they did that, and the trumpet was called, and the sound set off, the Midianites were in such confusion that they began to kill each other. Thousands by thousands by thousands of Midianites died. 120,000 of the Midianites ended up killing one another in this act. 15,000 of them fled because they thought that a large army was surrounding them because of this confusion. And in this moment, we see that God had answered Israel's prayer. He used a common man who believed in God. He used a common man who believed in God. So as we look at the story of Gideon, and as we look at these lessons, I feel like each of us can somehow relate to Gideon's life. You know, like I said in the beginning, these stories that we've been talking about as we go through bedtime stories are all about the ordinary people doing magnificent things only by the power of God. So my question for you tonight is, where are you in your walk? Are you at the bottom of the well feeling unworthy, unqualified, unable to do anything good for God? Or are you at a place in your life where you forgot about God because things are going really well in your life? See, there's a couple things we can learn, and one of those is that God will remind you of his power and your need for him. But God will also redeem you and qualify you and tell you how worthy you are. And say, listen, it doesn't matter what the odds say. It doesn't matter what circumstance says. It doesn't matter what the world says you can't overcome. Through me, it's going to be possible. So maybe for you, the army of Midianites isn't a person, but it's an addiction. It's an addiction that you fought every single day of your life. And they've came in and they've destroyed your crops and they've destroyed everything good in your life, your relationships, people who mean a lot to you. You've lost them because of an addiction problem. And God's saying, listen, I want to deliver you from the Midianites through my power alone. I'm going to free you from that addiction because Scripture is very clear that God breaks every chain. Would you trust him tonight or would you be like Gideon and ask him over and over again, can you really do this? Do you really have that power to, to break that in my life? Step out in faith and see how God always answers with his presence in your life. Maybe for you, the Midianites don't represent an addiction, but maybe for you, they represent just your life choices and relationships. And, and you don't commit to anything and you have no genuine friendships and everything on your life is surface level. There's no sense of transparency or, or true community. You let nobody in because you've been hurt by people, maybe even a church. Maybe for you, the Midianites are all those voices and all those people who have told you throughout your life that you can't have genuine relationships, that you can't be worth anything. And right now, tonight, through this story, you've realized, well, I have a name. It's child of the God. It's friend of God. It's redeemed. It's loved. See, guys, those promises that I listed off are things that each of us can claim. All you have to do is say, God, I need you. God, I want you in my life. See, God is saying, have I not sent you? That same question he asked Gideon, he's asking each of us. Have I not sent you? And it says that the Lord was with him. And he's with us too. Would you pray with me? God, we know that in this room, there's a lot of Midianite soldiers that have surrounded us. There have been many circumstances where the odds have not been in our favor and it's been really easy to doubt you 
It's been really easy to question if you were really there, if you even existed. And in our own pride and in our own uh, need to, to see proof, we've, we've asked you to show yourself, God. Thank you for being patient with us. And thank you for always being faithful even when we've been faithless. God, I know that sometimes in our life it is so easy to forget that the God of the valleys is also the God of the peaks. And so if we're in a season right now of, of joy and of, of prosperity, may we also claim your truth still in those places and still realize our need for you and that all those good things come from you. May we never forget about that need. And God, when hard times come and trials come about in our life, may we realize you're just extending your grace. You're just saying, I want to break you so that I can make you into something worthy and redeemed. My son, I'm calling you home. My daughter, come back to me. God, thank you for a love that is so big that it beckons the Gideons of the world that you look down on this small place in Burlington, Kentucky, and you see each of us, and you know each of us by name, and you know how many hairs are on our head, and you know our needs. And you say, you are a warrior. God, may we step into that strength and truth and claim that promise and, and claim that power of victory and not be afraid of our calling, but embrace it. Not because we can do it on our own merit, on our own strife, and our own workings, but because we serve a God who is worthy and powerful and always faithful, who doesn't send us to places where he's not with us, enabling us, equipping us. God, help us remove the junk in our life, the stuff at home, so that we can serve you and live according to the call that you've placed on all of us. And God, if there's a person in the room tonight, in this place right now, who doesn't know you, all this stuff is just a story to them. God, I want to pray for their heart right now. That you would show them who you really are. And if that's you, if that's you and you've just been a weary wanderer for so long, feeling lost, feeling like there needs to be something more, the answer is simply this that you have a God who is beckoning and yearning for you. And there's a hole in your life that only he can fill. See, what you're looking for and longing for if you're a weary wanderer is a love that's not caked in conditionality. Scripture is evident that God meets us where we are. And so tonight, right now in this room, if that's you, God is ready to meet you in this place. God is ready to say, my child, come home. I want to take that stuff in your life. I want to strike down the Midianites through my power, your addiction problems, your past, your brokenness. Because I have a calling for you. I have a purpose for you. And it's a life that is abundant and full and good and filled with genuine relationships and community and promises. If that's you, would you claim that tonight? Would you surrender and just say, God, I want to embrace that tonight because I know I need you. All you have to do is say, God, I need you. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you died on a cross for me so that I can have eternal life with the Father.
one. That's all it takes. God, thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy that always abounds. No matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we wander away, no matter how many times we're in places where we feel confused and heartbroken and lost, you're always there and in it. God, thank you for being the God that doesn't leave us in places, but that walks with us in every season. God, thank you for being a God that looks at broken people and says you're enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So during the sign of the next song, we have our invitation. And guys, I just want to invite you to take communion. It's on both sides. Communion just represents what God did for us on the cross. His blood poured out, his body broken. Remember that. He did that for you. In spite of who culture has said that you are, the merit that the world has placed on you, God said, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you because you're worth it. We can celebrate and remember that tonight. The altar's open and I'll be up front if you want somebody to pray for you or pray with you. the same thing in your seat though maybe you just need to fall on your face though tonight and say God I need to humble myself because I've got junk in my life that I need to get rid of because I want to step into my calling I want to step into that promise I want to step into that power that you have for me do that tonight don't wait you can give your tithe and offering it's just giving back to God what he's already blessed you with again it's another reminder that God is always faithful to provide an act of trusting him for who he is and not doubting him. Whatever it is, however you're going to worship in the next couple minutes, just worship God. Don't think about where you're going to dinner. Don't think about anything else. But in this moment, just have a true moment with God where you talk to him. This is your chance. No distractions, nobody looking at you, nobody cares what you're doing right now because this is about you 